It is hot where I live. Right, I just, I just checked that little uh, Ocean IOS heat stress app. Um, and yeah, I don't want to go outside. <laughs> um, oh. And honestly, it's still not too too bad, but in the grand scheme of terrible heats to be in, but. Yeah. So that I do enjoy about that. I, I like immediately downloaded it after you shared it. I have it on like my work phone. Um, is it does give you the precautions section. Oh, nice. I haven't looked so it at has the app. Like, yeah. The app's cool because it's like, it has the little like scale bar that tells you if it's in caution, warning, or danger. And then underneath it, it has precautions. And that's essentially what OSHA recommends for you to do. Because there is no like regulation. There's no like, at this temperature, you have to stop work. Um, and I can get into that later when we're actually recording. <laughs> um, but yeah. But it has like whole things like set up shade structures, two hours like of work, and then like a break. And this is how much water you should be drinking and how often. That's, that's good to know. Like the water intake, um, that's something that I feel like, um, it impacts like field planning, you know, like if, if it you're does. out in the back country, like there, mm -hmm. there could very well be survey areas that are just like, can't do it because you can't carry enough water into there. I used when working in Florida in the summers, I, and even, even in Virginia in the summers at times, I used to carry like five liters of water on me. Yeah, that was it. That was in like my first year of working. So I was like a little bit less heat acclimated than I probably would say I am now. Um, but yeah, I used to carry five liters of what I had a four to five. So like the full like water bladder in the backpack and then two Nalgene's. Yeah. Oh, man. I had that kind of a setup uh, when I worked in the Southeast too. And then I worked on a project in the Mojave Desert that was the same way. And it was just like, Working in the Southeast, it's, it's like, it's so humid that dealing mm -hmm. with the heat is like your strategy for dealing with the heat. If you're in like dense forest cover is like, try to wear very light, uh, layers, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe like short sleeves, stuff like that. Like just try and shed as much sweat as you can. Uh, but it's totally different in the desert where it's more hiding from the sun is the strategy there. Yeah. I mean, I've never worn short sleeves in the field. Oh, I, I do if I'm allowed to. <laughs> yeah. I've worked with people wearing like tank tops, but yeah, I, 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 like, I like, I wear tank tops. <laughs> I like being covered from the plants and the bugs. And also I got these noodle arms and the people, people make comments. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just hey Travis, I, where'd you get those noodle arms? <laughs> I I used to wear like one of those like breathable sort of outdoor like shirt things, but I gave up on that pretty quickly after surveying in eastern Oregon. Just because it's just you can't. It's too hot. Even like just like a really breathable like outer layer is gonna be too much. Yeah. yeah. It's I, just like direct heat. <laughs> I literally wear the long sleeve, like cotton 
Jersey, like t-shirts, they just give you for free from every company. And yeah. I wear those in the dead of the summer. I don't know how I survive. Yeah. I mean, I do wear those sometimes. Um, I think they like soak up the sweat really well. And they keep, um, you don't have to wear sun, as much sunscreen. Um, yeah, I'm very pale. But God, it's hot. And only some of my clients require a long sleeve. <laughs> so <laughs> if I can get away with it. Um, although I've also shown up on a project and the guy there uh, just took his shirt off and just wore his vest over it. So, yeah. <laughs> Have we worked with the same guy? God, probably not. But. I think there's always that guy. Well, I guess let's kick it off with a quick roll call. Uh, I'm Chris Sims, pronouns he, him. Uh, I am the most frequent host of the Go Dig a Hole podcast, and I'm joined here by uh, past guests and friends of the show. Um, Elliot, you want to go next? Yes. Um, I'm Elliot Helmer, pronouns they, them. And I'm a CRM archaeologist in California and back on the show after like a week. Now I can't stay away. <laughs> a long time no see. Yeah. And Travis, how about you? Uh, I'm Travis Corwin, uh, pronouns he, they, uh, CRM archaeologist in the Southeast. And um, I'm probably least frequently reoccurring, reoccurring guest. <laughs> I think both of you are on number two. Oh, three. Hey. no, oh, yeah. three. This I'm on my, two. I'm on two. This okay. Is number two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's funny. The show, like we, we still have a lot of listeners, which is am amazing to me because we don't do what, um, oh, my free meeting will end in 10 minutes. God fucking damn it. Um, <laughs> You've got some questions. You're feeling stressed, man. Pull out your GPS and under the dirt, something is glistening. Download and listen to Tia, Katie, Chris, and Kirsten. You should go. Everyone will know my thought. Also, I looked at the Cal OSHA's um, like standards for the air quality index. And one of the things in the protection from wildfire smoke in Cal OSHA's official statement is the employer should reasonably anticipate that employees may be exposed to wildfire smoke. <laughs> oh man, what, what even are, what even are like California's like wildfire stuff? Cause I remember when I was out there for like <clears throat> wildfire projects, there were like zero safety measures for well, field techs. No one was getting I, hazard pay and all that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I was exposed to wildfire smoke at work in the office last week um, because there was like a massive fire on, next to the freeway. Um, <laughs> and the smoke, like our office is clearly not like sealed in any way. Cause the smoke just like gets into the office and you can like smell it. And there's like ash falling from the sky in the parking lot. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I remember when I was working out in California, I was talking and talking to other people who had worked out there. I was out there after like the crazy, like wildfire smoke. Um, the, it was the Dixie fire and it pretty much oh, yeah. subsided in the area I was at, but I knew had a friend who was working on like the South end of that, just like a month, like a few weeks before. And yeah, yeah. Like field techs, like archeologists were the only people not getting hazard pay out on that project. If my yeah. conversations are correct. Um, yeah, we don't give hazard and, pay. Yeah, and the safety measure was 
stay in your car. <laughs> and I was like, how do you how do you monitor sites by staying yeah. in your car? Yeah. And also like, is that safe? Like <laughs> most of like, our get, stuff getting at best like an N95 mask and then being told to like just don't just don't leave your car if you can't yeah. see past your face. Yeah. We mostly do like post burn surveys. I don't know that we take yeah. any projects where there's like active fires going on. Um yeah, I mean, even post burn is super dangerous because oh, when yeah. I was out there, like I was still like having to walk around areas where I'm like, yep, that's a a continuously that's a tree that is still the inside of it is on fire, and every yeah. single one of these like burned out pine holes, like, yeah, root, burned well, out root sections. I fall in that. That's just an inferno. And the Those whole thing so is dangerous. like that you're out there surveying before they go take down the hazard trees, which means you're still out there while there are. Also out there while they're taking out hazard trees. Yeah. yeah. And there are like <laughs> like houses that burn down have like all sorts of toxic garbage like associated with them. Um, yeah. That's just like in the air and in the soil all around that property. Uh, yeah. I remember being in one section where like an entire like kind of like hunting town like got burned down. Yeah. And you see all the hazmat signs that are like, this house has been cleared. This house has not been cleared. Yeah. And then like five, like, you know, more than five people. Like we should be recording oh, just, this. Oh yeah. man, we aren't. No. Oh no, we are. Yeah. No, oh, we are. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't and, hear the little recording thing. Sorry. Yeah. But yeah, coming down right near those homes are trees that are very heavy and kicking up a lot of dust. Yeah. And I think I was wearing a mask and then one of the loggers was wearing a mask. <laughs> um, and that's also just, you know, well, okay. Also people least, just don't like wearing masks. At least we all have masks now, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's such a mess. Oh. <sighs> yeah. I, don't I guess. Uh... So, yeah, we're talking about field safety today and. I think to kick it off, like, um, this is all coming in the, in the wake of the tragic death of Kaylin Gerke. And, um, she's a young archeologist who, uh, you know, unfortunately passed away from heat injuries on her very first day on the job in Louisiana. And, um, you know, I, Travis, you, you currently work in the Southeast. I've worked in the Southeast and, uh, heat injuries are, are, uh, sneaky in humid, uh, weather. And, uh, you know, um, uh, Elliot, you've, you've worked all over the West and, uh, I've worked in like, the, I've worked in Missouri and Illinois as well. Oh yeah. In so the humidity. humidity is wild there too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we all know like, uh, the, the pure hell that that is, but, oh, yeah. um, I, I believe Kaylin's family is still raising funds for support for the family. So, um, check the show notes on whatever you're listening to this podcast on and the link will be there as well as links to anything else we're talking about here and, and any sort of notes that, uh, uh, you know, for extra details on what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so in response to Kaylin's tragic death, it spawned a lot of discussions about safety across the cultural resources management field. Um, and I think across archaeology even more broadly. Um, 
And so I guess that's kind of a silver lining is that it's, it's forced a lot of um, conversation about like what safety is. And so, you know, in our chatter on the discord and on Twitter and all that, we've been, you know, talking a lot about that. Um, and so I put the question out to Twitter uh, about, you know, what sort of field safety issues folks wanted to hear about. And um, we didn't get a whole lot of response, which is, um, great. Cause we, I, I don't really want to spend all day talking about Twitter, replies. <laughs> but thank you to everybody who did reply. Uh, Colleen Morgan replied about, uh, stepping any trenches over one and a quarter meters, 1.25 meters. Um, and that was kind of like an aha moment for me. Cause I was like, I've seen such poor safety on trenches um just in how like they can collapse very easily uh, if they go you know deep enough uh they can kill people uh when they fall if not you know just break somebody's limbs um so it's it's like it's no joke um and yes it, it takes a lot more work to manually step a trench um after you've already dug that deep but um you know better safe than sorry it's kind of interesting, actually, because I just double checked, like, what what does that mean in feet, the depth in meters, because I know the OSHA requirements in feet. And yeah. I'm pretty sure that it's our requirements are stepping after five feet deep and like shoring up after five feet deep. And this is four, four feet. So it, clearly in the UK, they have even like stricter standards <laughs> about this because this is like a full foot, like shallower than we require before we have to start stepping and shoring. Um, so that's just, that's great. Now I'm like, is it going to fall on me if I'm in here after five feet? Which also this like trench safety thing, if anybody has seen the dig that Netflix, like archeology span movie, oh, one of the like, oh, yeah. first things that happens is a trench collapses on him because he's like digging into this mound with this crazy deep trench and the whole thing falls on him. And I was watching it with my parents and I was like watching it crumble around him. And I'm like, well, you see now, if he had shored that, you, you see, he was just, he was not using proper safety. And my parents were like, I don't care what you're talking about. This man's been buried in a, we're watching and there's drama happening here. And I'm like, look, look this all could have been avoided. <laughs> I don't care about the drama. I'm giving you a lesson. <laughs> right. And that's an odd detail of accuracy, unfortunately, because there's such a lack of safety culture in our industry. Yeah. Well, and especially like this is that's like a like that OSHA requirement. That's I only learned that requirement once I started working in like contract archaeology. Mm -hmm. I never once heard anything about like any kind of shoring safety or trench safety when I was working in like academic like digs. Like, oh, yeah. There's like, you can just, just just dig that deep as deep as you want. Like I've definitely had people in holes that are like five feet deep. Um, that like, I is not OSHA safe, but academic like digs, I feel like sometimes tend to forget slash completely ignore that they are also do, need to like be following OSHA requirements because they're not really like a employer. It's not really like a workplace, but it's like, it's not like those things aren't safe <laughs> just because you are now not an employer and you have a bunch of like undergrads digging your holes for you. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no. I definitely remember like in school, like seeing photos of like impossibly deep units 
um and with like ladders sticking out and i'm just like that no <laughs> that is well of that is two people deep yeah. and then like also hearing stories from like professors who dig in like uh temples in like guatemala and having to have like a tube so in case there's a collapse <laughs> they can breathe through like the tube yeah. and, I'm just, and i was thinking i'm like I your wife is one of my other is like a professor of mine. Like I <laughs> I have met your two kids. Yeah. <laughs> right. What are yeah. you doing? Yeah. You can't just be relying on this tube. There are other ways. Yeah. Oh um, man. Like the the California OSHA requirement. It's like you should reasonably expect that this is gonna collapse in on you, and thus we've provided you with a breathing tube. Uh, right. Like, yeah. We, at the bare minimum, like bring a hard hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like, what have you ever seen a hard hat on a on a like academic project? Yeah. Oh, never. Yeah. The only uh, time I see them on CRM projects is when we're like hat required, it, and someone is nearby. Yeah. Right. Somebody is going to be paying attention to you enough. <laughs> it's like I know that like I. I like almost never wear like hard hats if I'm like doing survey like mm -hmm. out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I have a coworker who, when she was working for, um, a different company, they were like surveying in forest service land and some other like forest service person ran into them in the woods and their crew wasn't wearing hard hats mm -hmm. and they like got super mad. They got in trouble. Like they were reported. So they were like, fine, fine, fine. Even though we're in the middle of the woods, we'll wear hard hats, whatever. And like literally the next day, a giant sugar pine cone nailed my friend in the head and if she hadn't been wearing her hard hat she could have died <laughs> wow. because like sugar pine cones if you're not from a place with sugar pines are like a foot long these things <laughs> they're massive and it was literally like the next day after they started wearing hard hats so it's like you know it's it's so like i think that's like part of the problem is it's like it's so inconvenient to have to wear hard hats when you're like I'm out in the middle of nowhere. What does it matter? I'm not around heavy equipment, but like, yeah. you know, and we were talking earlier about like hazard trees and stuff. It's like branches fall, giant pine cones fall. Like it, you really should be wearing hard hats, even if nobody can see you. <laughs> um, it's just like not having the accountability makes it really hard to yeah. get yourself to do it. And there's like a difference between like those. I, I feel like those like, safety standards that we can all like sort of see and feel like heat like standards. It's like everybody can feel when it's getting too hot and you can like feel the effects of that. Whereas it's like, you're not going to feel the effects of not having a hard hat on until you've been smacked in the head by something you should have been wearing a hard hat. It's yeah. not like something that you'll be aware of until it's like far too late. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully you're, you know, lucky enough to walk away from it. Like I, yeah. I had uh, an eye injury one time, like just surveying in the woods and it was, you know, a branch just smacked me right in the eyeball, oh, had to go to the emergency room. And, uh, you know, my, my boss at the time was like, Hey, so, uh, why weren't you wearing safety glasses? And I was yeah. like, Oh, cause I didn't want to. And like, that was, <laughs> that was on me, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, I, yeah. I messed up on that. And so, you know, after that incident, I was like, yeah, it's super annoying to wear safety glasses while you're surveying in the woods, but, uh, I don't want to get whacked in the eyeball again. So, um, you know, that's one of those things that 
I'm just always wearing safety glasses, especially like if I'm digging, you know, like if you take your rock hammer and you just like hit the, the soil the wrong way, like mm-hmm. a bunch of junk's going to go in your face. And then you've got like stuff in your eye. There's another eye injury. Uh, yeah. I've definitely been nailed in the face by a, like a, a pebble going off mm-hmm. of like something I break or barred. Definitely done that before. Yeah, um, I think I think we're also expect. I think like the client we mostly work with expects us to wear safety goggles, um, which I don't think anyone was. I have never even um, considered or heard of anyone wearing safety goggles in the field. They're they're trying to do like build up some more safety stuff at the company I'm at, and at the very least, they are like making sure like everyone who works in the field can buy prescription safety goggles if you have glasses that's always been oh, my that's thing good. yeah neat is yeah so even like they're even trying to do that for field techs because that was a conversation we had with like the safety lead for the environmental like division of our company that's all like field techs aren't given like those like full-time benefit stuff yeah so like it's a lot easier for like full-time people to get like things like that but yeah so yeah. we should be able to get like I don't want to have to wear safety goggles in the field, um, but I will, I guess, if I can, like, if I can see out of them properly. Yeah. Right. Description, but so that goes back to like the hard hat thing. Something that I have always encountered with when people don't want to wear hard hats in the field is, um, they you don't they kind of make you hotter. Yeah. They oh, don't yeah. cool you down yeah. very well. <laughs> oh, and for there sure. is like that kind of mitigation of like. Like, safety issues this thing it, there's nothing breathable in that like yeah. it's just yeah. baking your skull it's just hard plastic yeah and, yeah i mean like i definitely have like you know like poured water into my hard hat and put it onto my head just so that it would just like drip all down my face because it's just so hot yeah, and yeah, like yeah. The you thing, can get like, cooling towels and whatnot yeah but... and they were like talking about like oh yeah long sleeves like obviously long sleeves are like safe for like good for safety for a lot of reasons but it's like it gets so hot and i feel like that's almost part of this problem of like balancing all these other safety measures against like against the heat safety because it's like the hard hat and like the long pants and the long sleeves and the heavy boots all of this stuff like directly works against your ability to not get heat stroke (laughs) and so it's like if you want to have all these other safety measures, it means that we're going to have to be like letting people take more breaks because you can't mm-hmm. expect somebody to be hiking like through like 95 degree Eastern Oregon sun and not take breaks like every like, I mean, honestly, like every like half hour, you should be able to like sit down and take a break. If you're wearing long sleeves and long pants and a hard hat in that kind of heat, it's like, but you know, when have you ever been like allowed to like take that many breaks? It's like if you were hiking in that kind of clothes, you'd be taking a hell of a lot of breaks. <laughs> yeah. That's a really yeah. good point, Elliot. Uh on Twitter, Courtney Rourke uh replied to that that question for safety issues about um setting a maximum heat index for which it is safe to work. Um and then Courtney expanded if not universal, then at least regional. Kind of seems like something that should have been implemented 20 years ago. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and so I was doing some searching on this. Um, so like OSHA and NIOSH, um, and, and Travis, you were mentioning the, the, um, the heat safety tool app, uh, that mm-hmm. OSHA and NIOSH have, um, 
so as I was like looking around for safe uh, heat indexes, it looks like 90 degrees is the, is the upper limit for a lot of this stuff. And it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it goes back to like everything we've just said is, is uh, one, there's a lack of a safety culture Two, like the safety tools that we do have, like the personal protective equipment uh, is very difficult to, uh, work in hot weather. Uh, but also like most of this country, uh, in the United States, like for a lot of the year is above 90 degrees. So it's like, mm -hmm. well, when do we get the work done? And also like, how do we account for delays in field work so that we can keep workers safe? And it, you know, I think that's, um, kind of goes back to like the, the reckoning that, you know, this, this tragedy has forced the industry to talk about is like, how do we keep people safe in this kind of heat? Um, and so like, I got to give kudos to my employer for having like company wide conversations, you know, straight from the CEO and the COO, um, you know, uh, to all employees talking about, you know, what the safety guidelines are and urging people to exercise safety, um, and it does put a burden on like project management, I think, to be mm -hmm. able to adjust for those kind of delays and like have those kind of uncomfortable conversations with the client. Like, hey, I know you wanted this stuff done for this dollar amount and this timeline, but um, it, that's too dangerous for us to do. So um, something's got to give, like reduce the scope of work. Um, so that we're not putting people in danger or give us more money so that it can, uh, you know, be done appropriately or just expand the timeline so that we can yeah. do it slower. Um, and that's, yeah, go ahead. I just thinking like, if you think about it, like trying to come go to a client, like, Hey, like we can't, we had to slow things down because it's, it's been 95 degrees for three weeks straight, which like, if you're working in California, like I am, that's the whole summer. It's like always <laughs> above 90 degrees. Yeah. And versus like, if you go to a client and you're like, Hey, we had to like cancel work because it was raining. They're, they're much more gonna, they're gonna understand like, Oh, okay. You got rained out. Like, Oh, I, I can get wrap my head around the idea of being rained out of a project, which really has almost nothing to has less to do with safety and more to do with just like the feasibility of digging. Whereas like, but if you, if you're saying we have to stop the project because the weather conditions are now like preventing people from being outside safely, it's like, but you can still do it. Right. Like I, like they wrapping their head around, like, being, like, <laughs> like, you know, having to shut down a project when the weather is heat related and not like rain or snow related. It's like that people just like, can't like wrap their heads around it as much. Um, it's like, you know, we have rain days and like, like, we have, you have snow days in school and people are like used to that. It's like, you don't get like heat days. Although I do remember a couple of days, like when I was in elementary school where they didn't let the kids play outside because it was like 103 degrees. So it was like, yeah, we're going to, everybody's going to hang out in the multi-purpose room. We're going to do an inside thing. And it's like, oh, okay. But like all the people outside could work just fine. <laughs> like, and that only <laughs> happened like maybe once where it's like, it's just not something that we think about of like the danger of heat especially because I feel like until very recently didn't have to worry about it so much. It was like, yeah, it'll get above a hundred degrees like once or twice a summer, but don't worry about it. And now it's like five weeks out of the like 
entire summer it's over 100 degrees and it's like okay we have to like think about this now it's like a real safety issue it's not like a one-off like you know situation anymore again speaking yeah. from california <laughs> yeah oh i think like across the country like climate change is making dangerous weather um more dangerous and more frequent yeah and i know like there isn't like an actual OSHA standard that says you cannot work in this amount of heat. We had like the, um, the safety lead, like he's been going around and visiting like all the, the environmental departments, like going out in the field with archeologists out in Texas and now out in like the mid Atlantic where I am, mid Atlantic Southeast. And, um, we had like that conversation about like heat stress stuff. And the, the answer he was able to give was, you know, you have stop work authority, but there's nothing like you can't, there's not like a, you're like, Oh, it's too hot for you to work. There's just a, there's a point where you have to be all like, Oh, it's too dangerous. And I know currently like OSHA is updating their heat stress stuff. There's some people calling to like the presidential administration to, uh, just move beyond OSHA and just like start enacting like a heat stress kind of like workplace, like safety like thing. Cause it's throughout the, like, not just archeology, span but it's every industry right now. People are dying like in construction at high rates because mm -hmm. of the heat. Yeah. Um, roofers yeah. and farm workers like, a lot. Farm work. Oh. And they're having to deal with the yeah. smoke out here also, the heat and the smoke. And farm uh, working, there's you, you have to be very covered when you do farm working. Yeah. Like I, I used to do like farm worker, like advocacy, like stuff. And when you're a farm worker, you're, you're more covered up than we are as oh, yeah. like in the field. And I'm someone who wears like long sleeve everything. Um, but your, your face is completely covered up. You're because you don't want to get like chemicals and some plants like corn can be pretty, pretty irritating to the skin just because of like the, the fibers on like the leaves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you have to work in that. <laughs> There's like no way of getting around it. Like, yeah. Um, and I know that like with farm workers, there's been like a lot of like organizing going on to like get standards enacted. I know in mm -hmm. Oregon, they've had like smoke standards enacted. Um, and in some, I know Sonoma County in California has had success with farm workers organizing to get like more protections with smoke, but it's like not like industry wide. And it's, I mean, it's the same sort of problem with like archeology. span Like maybe your company is not going to make you do that, but like, you know, one company isn't going to like speak for everybody necessarily. Right. right. So, um, and something I also think about like, a major problem in terms of like the like heat but also like other sort of um like work related problems is like okay what is like the thing that you're supposed to do when it's like too hot outside like you're supposed to rest like that's like that's all you can do is rest cool down drink water like that's like the treatment for like like if you can see the signs of like heat exhaustion coming up you need to like get out of the sun rest drink water except that there's this like culture right in like archaeology where you're expected to be able to just do it like mm -hmm. you're expected to be able to have like the physical ability to just 
work straight through this until you get your like 15 minute break and just like continue working. And especially with like, like younger techs, um, like I know I personally, like when I first started teching, I was super nervous about like people perceiving me as like not able to like keep up, especially because mm -hmm. like I have like various like chronic illnesses that make it like difficult for me to like work sometimes. But I'm like, I have to just keep going because they're going to think that I can't do it. And this like whole job is like obsessed with like the physicality of it. And it's like, yeah. I have to be able to do this. And so you just work through without like asking to take a break because you feel like you can't and you feel like you'll, there will be repercussions if you don't just work through it. And there like can be repercussions because if you're a tech and you take too many breaks, they can just not hire you if they think that you weren't like doing, like working hard enough. And yeah. like not working hard enough is very much something that like a field director could like complain like, yeah, I don't know, I saw that per they took a lot of breaks. I don't know about hiring them next time on that project, like on like these kinds of projects. Like that can really <laughs> happen to you. And so like, how are we supposed to like enact any of these like it's all well and good to be like yeah 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 this is what you should do in the heat you should just ask like you you know if you feel the signs of heat exhaustion coming on you can teach like your employees about the signs all you want but if they don't like feel like they can actually come to you or like actually mm -hmm. come to their field directors or crew chiefs and be like hey i like feel like i feel not great like i need to sit down if you feel like you can't do that especially if you're like a young tech like what what good is like telling people about the signs of heat exhaustion if they don't feel like they can actually do anything about it mm. <laughs> like when they're experiencing it um yeah. i think that's like a major problem that's a very good point yeah and i think like i don't think we can really talk about this recent tragedy without realizing that like it was that archaeologist kaylin's like first day on the job yeah and i think every person i've ever talked to in like crm had like potentially a pretty rough first day. Um, yeah. yeah. Something that like is in that like OSHA NIOSH like heat index app about precautions is like, you understand that like, if you have people who aren't acclimated to like the environment and working in the heat, they're not going to be able to work like you. Yeah. yeah. And you need to like plan for that. I think like planning and like project planning needs to come into that. If you, if you're hiring a bunch of techs, you're like, I got this big project coming up. I need to hire as many techs as you want. And you're hiring like fresh out of college, which is mostly what the industry does because it's who's available to scoop up. Yeah. Um, then it's like, you got to realize that that project isn't getting done at the speed of like people who've been teching for five years. Yeah. Like you're going to have, yeah. Sorry. I was just saying, especially if you're like bringing in techs from like outside of the area. Like mm -hmm. if like companies are like shipping techs out to like these project areas and they don't aren't necessarily even acclimated to that heat in their day-to-day -day life because they don't live there. <laughs> and they're like all of yeah. a sudden now being dropped in like the desert. And it's like, yeah, I don't I like live on the coast and now I'm like expected to like, you know, do like 10 miles a day in the desert and I'm not used to this heat even just walking around in my neighborhood, like let alone walking around like for 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, so like we have some projects, um, like all over the Pacific Northwest, like there's, there's one in central Washington where the field director, um, you know, communicated to the rest of the team that, you know, they are having to take things more slowly because of heat, like it's above a hundred degrees out there. Um, and so, you know, they're getting out there at the crack of dawn as soon as it's light enough to 
see anything on the ground um and then getting out of there as as early as possible before it gets too dangerous um and so you know like they they did a really good job of of building that into the project schedule and like i got to give them props for like keeping safety at the front of mind and the same field director ran into um uh another safety issue on a project um and i was i was talking to elliot about this uh, a few days ago where um you know without going into enough details to to like give away the the project uh like they ran into some some issues with like unsafe people in the project area um and that were not employees they were just people in the project area being very unsafe and uh you know it was one of those things where we had to like respond to it very quickly like get out of there and like you were saying earlier travis like having that uh stop work authority communicated early on i think is a good way to advocate for you know responsible decision making in the field but like this field director is doing a great job of like looking out for these you know new techs um and advocating for them and and just like putting limits on them um you know because they they don't know their own limits yet uh they don't know how to advocate for that so you know this this field director is doing a great job of of doing that so i, I would say like you know if there's anybody out there in like a supervisory role you know keep that in mind that you know you you have to know people's limits sometimes better than they do yeah i feel like a lot of it does come down to like field directors because like going back to what i was saying about like do the techs feel like they can come up to you and be like hey i like need to take a break like if you set yourself up as a field director that is willing to like take that like take that um those requests like yeah. seriously like start the project and be like i am like dead serious please come to me if you're not feeling well like yeah. we have like a field director that literally one of his things is like um you like you need to be drinking enough water that you are peeing like multiple times if i don't see you peeing i'm gonna come and i'm gonna tell you that you need to go drink water he'll like come up to you and be like have you peed today no go yeah drink, go drink some water and it's like he's he's like very on top of it right and it's like but not all field directors are like that that's just and that's like he is a very specific like thing with dehydration <laughs> but it's like not every field director is going to be like keeping an eye on all their techs and being like i don't think i've seen that person go pee yet so i'm gonna go bother them about it like not all field directors are on it like that. yeah so it's like you know and that's like something that like is up to you as like a field director because maybe you even if your company isn't like making like sweeping like standards and like applying these standards like company-wide you have a, as a field director have that like authority in the field a lot of the time to just make like to make those calls to check on your text without any like like anybody above you making that a company policy it's like you can make that your personal policy as like a field director yeah um so i think there's a lot of like a lot that can be done sort of on that level individually like if you know, if field directors are listening to this, like make it a point to like really make yourself open to the text to like request like things for their own safety, um, I would say. Yeah, I think you gotta like, you gotta like start a project with like an expectation of like ha or having conversations that express like vulnerability. Yeah. And be all like, like, yeah, like archaeology is such a, it's such a it's a very rough craft and trade yeah um and it's really hard work and it's very like physical work and there are 
they're well documented problems because of that physicality. Yeah. Um, and that physicality like has influence on like how we understand a work and like it, it has cultural effects on archaeologists. And I think like a way to kind of combat that is kind of creating like a like a culture of care in archaeology and trying to just be vulnerable. Yes. I was talking to like a friend or like a coworker about this like a couple of weeks ago after we heard about what happened in Louisiana. And we were like, they're like a problem with archaeology is that kind of like that mo- the machismo, that kind of very like toxic masculinity that just is prevailing in it. Mm-hmm. Where it's all like, how do we have like conversations around like just like vulnerability and being like, like you as a field director and being like, you know, I'm ha- like, cause she was, she was telling me, she was like, she was struggling and she was with someone who like wasn't as like seasoned as her in the field. Um, and she realized she had to like speak up and be like, let's take a break because I need a break. Do yeah. you need yeah. a break? Yeah. Because yeah. like sometimes point where it's you just have to like, you got to like watch out for yourself. You shouldn't, you don't try to push yourself too much, especially if you're in that like field director position or you're just in like a position of like um, seniority in years like working in this industry, you just have to like, don't push yourself. Cause if you're pushing yourself, you're pushing other people past the yeah. limit because like, it is scary as like a new time, like a, a brand new, like greenfield tech um, to say, Hey, I don't think I can do this right now because you yeah. feel like you're being like surveilled. <laughs> like you feel yeah. like you're being tested in the field. I remember yeah. like my first day in the field was like awful. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. and like and I was being like surveilled too. Like we were using like ArcGIS like collector, which I guess is field maps now. Mm-hmm. Um and the person out in the office like popped on for a second to see like how many shovel tests we had dug and we were Jesus like super Christ. far behind. <laughs> and I was all like, I don't and, like I haven't seen phone calls from like the office, like Big people brother. from the office calling the person I'm in, I'm in the field with. And it's like my first, I'm like, I've never done this before. What I've done like, and they're just like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm super behind. I'm, I'm doing, we've dug half the amount of shovel tests we're supposed to dig today. Yeah. I'm brand new to the field. And that, yeah. was like, that was like a February, a hot February day in Florida. Yeah. I remember um, like yeah. the first time somebody told me like, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We try to like do like an hour per shovel test. And I was like, yeah. Ah, the pressure it's like i have to go so fast and now you're like timing yourself and it's like no no no, just dig it and however long it takes to dig it that's how long it takes to dig an um, hour per shovel test that's forever yeah that's luxury yeah that's luxury i feel like i've been on project roots like you got 15 minutes and i was yeah. like i don't want well, i'm taking this is like through glacial till for the most part so it's like oh, your okay. breaker your yeah. breaker bar and your way through the entire thing <laughs> yeah um and i remember my first like tech project in the Pacific Northwest. It was in it was in Walla Walla in a parking lot. They had like cut asphalt out for us to put shovel tests in. And it was Oof. like 93 degrees and I was standing on asphalt the whole day. That's awful. And that's just like, yeah, it's your first day going up. Which I mean like <laughs> they were like the the person who was my boss was also my friend, so we t- we took plenty of breaks. But it was also like, like yeah, like if 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 it wasn't like if I wasn't working with somebody that I knew already, I probably wouldn't have asked for as many breaks as I as I did. I just like I was friends with the guy who was directing the project, so I was able to be like, I just need to stop for a second. Yeah. But like, yeah, if I if it was somebody else that I didn't know, I probably wouldn't have asked, and I probably would have just passed out on the parking lot. <laughs> um, 
Also, Chris, I looked at these heat index things that you sent, and I'm going to cry a little bit about what they're saying you should be doing and how comparing that to what we do actually in the field. Yeah. Oh, so uh, speaking of Walla Walla, this is from Walla Walla Public oh, yeah. Schools. Hey, check and it out. Uh, I found I was trying to find like heat index and, um, you know, outdoor activity guidelines, like safety guidelines. And so they have uh, this public school has um, school activity and athletic activity guidelines. And so like we're looking at this thing. Uh, the link will be in the show notes if you're curious to look at it. Um, but for like a heat index of 100 to 105 degrees Fahrenheit, um, the the guideline is a maximum of four hours of practice per day uh, in two hour segments, maximum of two hour segments and a mandatory three hour recovery period in between those those segments so you're looking at like a nine hour day of uh three of those nine hours being a, a cool down period yeah um, and one of those it says one of those uh practices should be during a time with a lower heat index yeah so they're like one two hour period where you can work above 100 degrees and then you have to take three hour break and the other one has to wait you have to wait for <laughs> it to cool down or do it before yes. it gets hot and like that's like 100 to 105, even like 95 to 100, which I would say is like much more common. Like even that says maximum four hours, like, like athletic activity per day. Yeah. Like at 95 degrees, only four hours. And you have to have a three hour break between like practices. The only difference is that both practices can be above 95 degrees. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like that's, we don't, we're like working, like we're doing like athletic activity for like, you know, all intents and purposes. We're doing very, very strenuous activity and yeah, four hours per day maximum. Like, yeah, yeah. no, we're doing eight hours a day and you get like a total of an hour break. <laughs> and it's like over like a, like 15 minutes at a time, your longest break is half an hour, but you have to work for like eight hours straight and 95 degrees. Yeah. Like, mm, no, no. <laughs> We're, yeah, it's unreal. I feel like how hard we push ourselves. And I feel like it's one of those things where you don't realize how hard you push yourself until you like say something to somebody who's not like an archaeologist. You're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, I like, you know, I'm like wearing long sleeves and it's like 95 degrees outside and I was outside all day. And people are like, what? You did what? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I like hike 10 miles a day off trail. So it's like really rugged. Yeah, like 10 miles. It's over 90 degrees. Yeah, that's no problem. And they're like, are you serious? <laughs> like, yeah, I do that all the time. Like, it's it's just crazy. Like, I don't think we, a lot of times we realize like how strenuous we're working until, or like one of the things is like, if you ever talk to a construction worker when you're like monitoring about like what your field conditions are like versus what they their field conditions are like, they take like that stuff so much more seriously than we do. Like if they are doing like manual labor, they are taking way more breaks, getting way more water get like than we are. And it's like yeah. the, like every pro monitoring project I've been on where there's been a construction crew, they like roll up with like five pallets of water bottles and are just like passing them out like crazy, which like, yeah. I'm not saying that we should be passing out plastic water bottles because that's terrible, but we should have like an equivalent amount of water um, yes. that people can be refilling from because like, and they are like, 
constantly handing it out. Like they make a real point of it. So like, that's one of the things where I've like realized like where my our work standards sort of slip is talking to like construction crews because they have similar sort of work conditions a lot of the time mm -hmm. and the, their faces when you say like yeah i don't get like hazard pay for that yeah like i don't like we don't we work this long and i don't get like those benefits that you're you're getting they're like are you insane <laughs> what are you doing and they're like why do you, you bother you went to get a degree nah. to do this yeah well it's like uh like i was saying about the the field director running into safety issues earlier um at the company i work for you know the conversation that we had internally was like th these projects are not worth you taking a life-changing injury for yeah. like i'm sorry but like yeah the cultural resources are important but they're not more important than somebody's safety like mm -hmm. we don't get paid enough for this kind of level of danger yeah. constantly uh so you know i i think like silver lining this this tragedy that happened in louisiana has forced a lot of a lot of people across the country to have those kind of conversations like we're putting we're putting some limits on you know the level of risk we're uh going to accept um and you just said like we don't get paid enough to like deal with this kind of like techs don't get benefits to like deal with this kind of stuff it's like yeah, i'm not it's right. like if you're if you're a tech that doesn't have any like health benefits it's like yeah i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna risk like messing my shoulder up like digging through this like solid rock because i That's... can't how am i gonna get my shoulder fixed i can't you don't give me benefits <laughs> like right but like you know if you also if you don't do that you're just not going to get hired back and you also won't have a job so it's kind of like the it's it's crazy that like archaeological technicians have one of the most physically strenuous jobs like not just in the field but like generally like across multiple industries have like one of the most physically strenuous jobs out there and like by and large do not get like healthcare benefits to deal with the physical strain that they like are living with um which is like nuts. Like it's nuts. They, how are they supposed to deal with all of these workplace related injuries that they inevitably get? <laughs> Even if it's not like a acute injury, just long-term stress to the body, like, which we haven't even touched on, like the long-term oh, yeah. toll yeah, that I... this stuff takes on you. Like, and you can't do anything about it because you don't get any healthcare benefits. So you can't manage that in any way. Right. Like you take a uh, heat exhaustion or, you know, heat stroke, you become more susceptible mm -hmm. to heat exhaustion or heat stroke. You know, like you're saying the long-term effects of this are like you become higher and higher risk in to heat injuries uh, in the future. So yeah, it's like, and you're like knees and your back and your shoulders yeah. and like all so, the joints in your body. <laughs> we like, so one of the first things that the, safe lead safety dude had said to us in the field was he asked us how we learned how to dig because we were doing some shovel testing and every archaeologist as we've all as we all know and what he, he has noted seeing people in like texas digging and people in like the southeast digging is we have our shovels for shovel to lift them above our head and slam them down yep yeah to cut through the roots and also because we dig deep shovel test and he he's like because and he explains like most people, you know, he's like, that's terrible for your joints. That's bad yeah. on your elbows, your wrists, your shoulders. And I'm like, you're just describing every single injury that 
I and everyone else I know complains about. Yeah. Because he, he had uh, someone out in, the te- in Texas for our company dislocated their elbow digging one day. Oh something. God! So awful like that, and I was just like, "Oh, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna." I'm like, you know what? These shovel tests, we're hitting strat at like, we're hitting subsoil at like 30. So I'm just gonna dig it with my feet. Yeah, <laughs> gonna get some steel shanks on my boots and just start, yeah, <laughs> yeah, chunking out the right way because, like, yeah, like I've known a lot of pe- academics who were feel who feel tech for a few years, like five years or whatever, um, and they complain about like digger's wrist and all these other like little issues. Yeah. I um, remember coming out, out of my first field school, um, the muscle like between my like thumb and my index finger, I don't know what muscle that is, but on my like right hand, like on my trowel hand, and I was like troweling a lot because it was field school. Mm-hmm. So it was like, we actually used trowels to excavate, not just pickaxes. <laughs> like that muscle was like, like swollen like and it has never gone back to normal like that like muscle in my hand like i can't show you because like do you see like how this one is like so much bigger than the other one? Oh yeah it is like noticeably different and it's never gone back to normal since field school like that's like that's like an insanely weird digging injury to have but it's like like we don't like you don't think about the random shit does you you have it too (laughs) it's so messed up isn't it Oh god, now I'm looking at my hands and yeah, I'm like, yeah, I don't, yeah, another, like, I don't need another part of my body to be like anxious like... about. I think I'm fine. I never noticed that. And, and like I've been crazy. behind the desk for the most part for the last like five years. Like this yeah. It started Jesus. after I my first field school from traveling and it's never gone back to normal. And so it's like <laughs> and it's not like I travel that often either. So it really like I did I messed it up so bad at my first field school that it's never recovered. Like yeah. it's like it's what do we do? <laughs> I, I've been thinking about like something I've been thinking about a lot um, is like the methods in archaeology. There is like bodies have always been cheap in archaeology throughout yes. its like history, um, and you can like a global perspectives, or you could just look at like the history of like labor in like yeah. southeastern archaeology. Like the earliest projects in southeastern archaeology were like um cv moore's like steamship excavations of like going out to all the mounds and like just destroying them his entire yeah. crew was all black men yeah in the 1930s and 40s moat where a lot of like southeastern archaeology was done was for like the wpa where yeah. it was where we hired uh local laborers to do all that stuff and then and local and then, laborers like, once... who were poor and needed to use the exactly WPA. because it was the Great Depression, <laughs> the and Great they Depression. needed. <laughs> we, they we had needed the same work. thing we, with the CCC. We were able to throw us like many bodies. Uh, yeah, and like I mean, the WPA stuff was all throughout the entire country. Yeah, and you could throw like huge swaths of body historically out in like the Middle East. You know, you have like large numbers of people you can like throw out a project, mm-hmm. and that's just how like how we understand labor in archaeology, but how like mm-hmm. our methods have been developed with that like cheapness of like the body in yeah. mind or the yes. disposability of like our labor. I worked with some, I knew somebody who I like almost threw up in my mouth when she said this to me. She was complaining about like what we're all complaining about, like the stress on your body from digging and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I just feel like 
I like shouldn't have to do this. I have a master's degree. I shouldn't have to be like destroying my body. We should just like hire like construction laborers to dig for us because like I'm like too valuable to sacrifice my body to do this work. But let's just hire like in her words, like unskilled laborers to just dig holes for us. And I was like, Uh. excuse me? Like, oh, how about we deal with the fact that archaeology is really hard on the body and try to deal with that, not just like dump people that you think are like le- like worthless than you because you've got a master's degree and you shouldn't have to do this anymore and it's like unbelievable yeah. <laughs> also field techs the labor like that is done by field techs and how they are like categorized in like government records yeah is labeled unskilled labor which is so yes. you can't you can't you can't be doing like archaeology you're like we need to get like uh laborers because this is like we can get unskilled labor to do this it's like you are that unskilled labor you are legally described as unskilled labor (laughs) yeah Yeah. and also archaeology has been done in this country with prison labor before yeah yes it is it is still done in this country with prison labor yeah that's insane i i i need to read more about that because it's like insane to me yeah but that's Um, like the thing is like we just we like that's how archaeology done that's how our methods are devised the only way we know how to do archaeology the only way we can fathom how to do it is by like all right let's throw some bodies out here bodies are cheap we can do this yeah let's get this done as fast as possible and it's like done with a recognition of like half of these texts that come straight out of like college thinking i can't wait to be an archaeologist or going to get crushed burnt out and drop out before they ever like advance above field tech and Mm -hmm. it's like it's built knowing that we're going to be churning through texts that are not going to stay in the field because we didn't care enough to like convince them that this was worth doing to their bodies for the rest of their lives. Yeah, um, I don't know how I got convinced to think it was worth doing it to my body. I don't know. Uh, I childhood dreams do. really did me dirty. <laughs> childhood dreams, some internalized like uh, Protestant <laughs> worth ethics. Oh, that's some, it like, for me. That's like, it for me. It's yeah. like the Protestantism. It's it's some like internalized like classism against like <laughs> like you know just like having a dad who worked in like worked really hard like manually yeah. like and just like just internalized yeah. stuff about that. Yeah, just oh, yeah. if you grow up like a certain a certain class of this country, you just kind of like expect that your your body is gonna like break out at some like yeah. just break down. I yeah. remember a, a friend of mine told me this hilarious story of some like geologists that were like out on like a sort of like a field trip, like looking at some like formation on the side of the road. And they were like chipping away at it and like trying to expose like this geological formation more. And somebody like pulled up like on the side of, cause they were just on the side of the road and they heard them commenting to the like kid that was in the car with them. It's like, you see, uh, you know, they're wearing like safety vests or whatever. They're like, that's what happens when you don't go to college. Like you have to like do manual labor. And it's like all of these like, geologists with PhDs that are like, huh? (laughs) Look what happens when you don't go to college. You have to do manual labor. And it's like, what? Why are we devaluing manual labor, first of all? And also people with PhDs. (laughs) It's just like, but the idea that like you see people on the side of the road digging and you're like, well, those people clearly are below me. Those people are clearly unskilled and uneducated and da 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 da. And it's like, like setting aside like, oh, well, those people actually aren't. It's like, why would you assume that people on the side of the road are like less than you? Like, why do you like, how is that like a scare tactic of like, mm. you, yeah. you don't go to college, you're going to end up like that. It's like, what's so bad about like doing construction work? 
like if they were actually doing construction workers get paid a hell of a lot of money and get great benefits more than us it's right. yeah, way more than us so it's like no. that's a great job and you don't have to waste all your money and time on college good idea kids it's like but that's like a punishment it's like when people are like you're gonna end up working at mcdonald's it's like stop using like manual labor and service labor as like a scare tactic they to get, get paid better than a lot of field techs do, <laughs> do. <laughs> like, that's, yeah yeah I, I remember yes, that, that was like burgers. Was, it's good yeah. pay. It's great. That was like the, that was the thing that was hard about like my first day in CRM is I like get back from the hotel. I'm like dehydrated. I feel like my body hurts, <laughs> and I didn't do the amount of work I was supposed to. I was expected to do that day, and I was all like, I grew up with like like parents that are like like go to like go to college. You know, so you don't have to like work like your dad has to work. Yeah. And I was all like, holy shit, what did I do? <laughs> yeah, like, I, did I like, it cried anyway. for two hours in my little like roach motel. Yeah. Oh, man. Like I did it anyway and I still have to do that and it's worse. I know. <laughs> no, oh now, now I'm just, now I just stay in CRM because I have a vengeance against it. <laughs> <laughs> Out of spite, like all the yes. things I do in life. <laughs> Fueled by spite. Yeah, you'll chase me out of archaeology over my dead body. <laughs> sooner, yeah, sooner right. rather than later, maybe. Over. I'm taking as many of you fuckers with me as I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's it's rough out there, everybody. Uh, and this, uh, yeah, man, what a good field that we're in. <laughs> yeah, it's getting better. I maybe. regret no decisions I've ever made in my life. Um. I feel like uh, it's getting better. It is. I, I, I'm making just, good money, so I don't know. Yeah. About, I don't know about everyone else. I'm making good money now. Yeah. No, I'm. I mean, I'm like, yo, I'm making. I'm making good money. I'm also not tech though. Exactly. Right. <laughs> like, I'm a full time. Yeah. I'm a full time like archaeologist. <laughs> like I'm not. You know. So it's like recognizing that it's like, yeah, I'm making great money, but it's like there are techs out there that are making like half. Just absolute like joke money like the, right. like the what i was being paid as like a tech in um when i was working in like oregon and washington with a master's degree what i was being paid a joke and that was like they had given me like a one dollar raise because i had a master's yeah <laughs> and it's like being paid like 18 like 50 an hour or something like that and it's like good good job that's this yeah. is really gonna keep me surviving all summer long especially considering that you don't have consistent work at all Right. So it's like you get paid that garbage pay for like maybe a couple of weeks the whole summer and that's what you have to live off. <laughs> um that was just when I was like like teching over the summers in grad school. Like this is not like mm -hmm. and it was terrible. Imagine like I mean like I I've never had to like live off of being a field tech and I like I don't know that I would have made it in archaeology if I had to because like when I was field teching I would like come home like crying sometimes because I was so overworked. I wasn't, I didn't have any money. I was exhausted all the time. I couldn't plan anything more than like a week in advance because I might get called out at the last second. I'm like, yeah. if I had to do that for more than like a summer at a time, I would have, I would have quit. <laughs> and I love archaeology like more, <laughs> more yeah. than most archaeologists and I would have quit. It was oh, yeah. so physically and mentally exhausting. Like I don't know, like seriously, fucking props to all of the field techs out there. I don't know how you do it. You guys are stronger than me because holy shit. <laughs> um, and I mean, we just yeah. been talking about physical safety. Let's not even think about <laughs> mental safety and archaeology. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, I lived with my parents for the most, like for the very early part of like 
field teching for the first like two years. Yeah. I had a year where I was kind of living, I was kind of like just couch surfing. I was living with my parents on the weekends. And then because I got into like a rotten situation, I was living in uh, a friend's like living room on like a cot. I was living in the dining room as well. I was like just following that friend every time they moved to like a different place. Yeah. I lived in like, I lived in a professor's home when he was overseas, like doing his like field work. Yeah. And then he came back for a week and I just lived with him for a week. Awesome. <laughs> well, he, kicked, he kicked me out because his cat needed hit the room back. Oh my God. Oh my, God. <laughs> my, my spare room is for my cat. Do you have a place to live that isn't oh. here? And I'm like, yeah, oh I, got a, I got a dining room I can live. Oh yeah, my God. Just like, I take up less space than the cat so I can go sleep in someone's dining room. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you can just throw a pillow on the ground for me. I can sleep on that. Oh my yeah. God. Um, and, then, and then I lived with my wife. Well. <laughs> And there I was during the pandemic, I barely worked because I was like, I had the free, we had the financial freedom that I could just be all like, all right, I'm taking a mental health months. Yeah. Months long, <laughs> a nice long yeah. mental health leave. Yeah. Elliot, you made a good point about like, um, how field teching is so strenuous physically and mentally mm -hmm. and how yeah. like, it's just not sustainable in the long term. Yeah. And that reminded me that like I have quit archaeology several mm -hmm. times. Like I've I've taken extended breaks, uh, you know, to get paid more to do less work. I mean, that's that's the dream, right? Is yeah. get paid more to do less. But like uh or just to do something that doesn't like burn me out as much. So like I, you know, I even worked as a barista and a bartender and you know, even a food runner where I was making more money to do those jobs than I was as a, as a project manager in archeology. span oh And I had a way better work-life balance, you know, like just working like 30 hours a week in those kind of jobs. I had way better work-life balance and I was able to like, you know, have enough time to take care of my mind and my body and the relationships with people around me and uh, stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's, that just makes me think like, I think that's one of the the biggest pieces of advice I have for field techs is like, if it's not working for you, then you don't have to do it. Like yeah. there are, there are ways to build your resume and advance your career professionally that don't require you to, you know, take life changing injuries or, you know, immense psychic damage. Yeah. And I think that's, there is like this lie that people believe in academia, which is if you just quit academia and go into CRM, you'll have a much better work-life balance. It'll be so much easier. And it's like, who told academics that? And Spoiler why do they still believe it? Because it's like, I, like, it's just, it's ridiculous. I'm like getting like emails from like my higher ups at like 9 p.m. at night. And like, you know, like, it's what? What are we? I'm like working like long hours. I'm like, oh yeah, I just I've like totally like had this conversation with friends where I'm like, yeah, I like I I know I have to deal with this thing, but before I deal with that, I have to get this work done right now. And they're like, I don't understand. And I'm like, you know, I know you don't understand. I literally have to get this done right now. And they're like, but it's like 4 p.m. on like a Friday, and I'm like, I I cannot explain to you that this needs to be done right now. And it's right. like. Oh, I thought that I wasn't supposed to have to do this now that I wasn't in academia. But no, no, no. Actually, my work life balance was much better because I had the most flexible schedule of all time, which is I was a grad student. And I just didn't have to work sometimes. 
if I didn't yeah. want to. And it's like, no, no, no. Now you don't get those breaks that you were taking when you were in academia. You don't get to take those mental health breaks. You have to be working. It's like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. So if you're in academia thinking you're going to solve all your mental health problems by quitting <laughs> joining CRM, just keep that in mind. Because <laughs> the burnout persists throughout all of archaeology, it turns out. Yeah. I definitely recommend just taking a break from archaeology. Like, you know, yeah. there isn't like a set path <laughs> to like, yeah. if you have like goals or like, oh, I want to get this job at some point, like you're allowed to like, just stop working archaeology and you can go be a barista or like, I worked as a land surveyor for like two months and it's practically the same work, but you don't dig holes. You're just carrying yeah. like land surveying equipment through the woods. <laughs> yeah. and, those, and those dudes think they work like a really tough job. They're all like, this is, you know, you gotta, you gotta be eating high protein. You gotta be recovering. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, most strenuous thing we do is we chop with like a bush axe or a machete, a straight line through the woods. And I'm like, I'm like, all right. Yeah. You just, I, I also don't recommend being a land surveyor because they're all very conservative and super like macho-y and gross. Wow. Um, and the, <laughs> the second you make fun of them, you get fired. <laughs> That's what happened to me. I'm pretty say, sure. Is that why you don't work as a lancer? <laughs> I don't work as a lancer there. As I, as I, as I, one week, I got tired of conservative talk radio. I said, "You listen to silly radio stations." Oh my god! Um, the next <laughs> week, you I was Joe Rogan silly. The ne the next well, it was worse than that. Oh god! The next week, I was not working with that coworker, and then the end of that week, I was fired. So I think there's a. The, the connection mm, there, interesting, interesting. his easy work easiest job i've ever worked and that includes working in like a grocery store oh boy <laughs> um highly do and don't recommend that job it's also highly do and don't recommend archaeology yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah. funny to see yeah. the trajectory that, um, like me personally, but also the podcast has gone on over the last several years. Like the podcast started off as this kind of like, "Yay, here's archaeology! Everybody should do it!" Like let's let's all like be super into archaeology and like really waving the flag for archaeology. And now it's kind of like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Don't do it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah I'm. I'm still working on. I'm so start. I'm gonna be starting courses on like a GIS masters in the fall. Oh, so my um my roommate nice. my just ass did working that. full time as a as a project archaeologist like field director and then working part time towards that master. Yeah, so I'll my uh, my old roommate just did that and he just got a job with a tribe um like doing their GIS for them. So it's like he was like I'm never gonna do anything that's even closely related to archaeology again. And now he's like working for the tribe doing archaeological sensitivity mapping for them but it's like hey he's getting paid it's way better than he would have been being paid in like crm and like it's like full-time work it's like a good and you know it's one of those things where it's like you can leave archaeology and still sort of end up still kind of doing archaeology so like you know you don't have to say goodbye entirely <laughs> yeah yeah hey so i guess to wrap it up on a high note um, talking about the, uh, like being safe in heat, uh, in the field, what are some of y'all's favorite, um, like electrolyte drinks or snacks? Oh, Gatorade powder is great because then you can make your own Gatorade to various levels of sweetness. And also you don't have to carry around like 10 Gatorade bottles. <laughs> you can just <laughs> keep making your own Gatorade. Um, 
that bandana on the back of the neck is like excellent i do that a lot especially if it's like i'm like standing in the sun a lot put like a wet bandana over the back of your neck one don't burn the back of your neck two cools you down (laughs) (laughs) travis how about you Again, again, I'm such a Puritan that I feel like whenever I do have electrolytes, I always have like the naturally like the colored, like colored with like beet <laughs> powder and like oh, no sugars. So I always have those little like noon. Uh, oh yeah, those are good. Effervescent tablets, and then like I've worked with a company that always had like I can't remember the brand, but it's just like a sugar-free electrolyte thing. I. I always have like PB and J's in the field. So I have too much sugar in the field to begin with. But yeah, so I always get like the sugar free stuff. And then I've been meaning to get the popsicles. It's like electrolyte popsicles. Cause I think Ooh, you've suggested them to Pedialyte me. Pedialyte popsicles Chris. are yeah. incredible. They will hydrate you like nothing else. Yeah. They're good for dehydration, whether it's from field work and heat exhaustion or from heavy drinking. Pedialyte popsicles, <laughs> highly recommend. <laughs> yes. Yes. They're like they're like um like those otter pop sort of popsicles. They're mm-hmm. not like popsicle on a stick. They're like yeah. a squeezy tube. They will make you pee clear. Pops. Yeah, yeah. They'll make good. you. They'll make you pee clear. Yep. Yeah. That's what you want. We'll throw that on the box. <laughs> <laughs> Pedialyte Pedialyte pops. Pops. They'll, ma- they'll, they'll make, make you pee, pee clear. clear. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Travis Noon is my favorite electrolyte too. I I had just pulled up the uh the link for that because I was like, yes, Noon. Yeah, uh, REI sells the like the big containers of it. That's just raw powder. Uh, oh, so yeah. similarly, you can uh you know dial in however you want it. Um, and I like too that Noon has different kinds of mm-hmm. uh electrolyte mixes. Like some are better for post uh activity recovery some have caffeine in it so it's kind of like if you don't want to load up on coffee early in the morning you can have a little caffeine in your electrolytes uh and then like for snacks i really like um olives like uh the um like trader joe's has these little foil pouches of like green olives like kalamata olives Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and if if you don't want to have all that trash like just the the olive bar at whatever grocery store mm-hmm. <laughs> i just get like a big tub of it yeah. and then use like a like a reusable bag and just carry it with me uh it's like it's yummy it's got salt in it uh it, it makes me feel good yeah another yeah. thing i do pickles oh yeah, oh, yeah. pickles are always a big thing because they like you have like the potassium in that and like the vinegar is really good for like cramps yeah, yeah. I don't have a snack, but another thing I do is, again, with Gatorade, clearly I'm a shill for Gatorade. I'll, like, freeze, like, a Gatorade bottle and put that in my pack instead of an ice pack. And then it, like, melts enough, usually by lunchtime, that then you Mm -hmm. can drink this, like, ice-cold Gatorade slushy. It's it's such a nice little treat right in the middle of the day. And it's, like, if you're going to put an ice pack in there anyway for your, like, sandwich or whatever the hell you have, might as well make it a frozen Gatorade bottle because they really... It, it it's a real good pick me up right in the middle of the heat of the heat of the day. Yes, uh, I, I second that. I, I I always do that with the little baby like Gatorade bottles. Yeah, I do the little yeah. mini Gatorades so that they're not like crazy huge and heavy and they fit in my uh yeah. lunchbox. Ten out of ten, changed the game when I just like figured out to how to do that. <laughs> yeah, those are awesome. Well, also uh, just always keep like an ice pack, uh, uh, like a 
a cooler in the yeah. work truck that you can yeah. have yeah. at the end of the day. And you can have totally. those, um, they make those um, ice packs that are like, you smash them and there's like a chemical reaction that happens that cools mm -hmm. them down. It's like the opposite, like they make them for heat too, but like those are really good. They like, you can get them with like first aid kits and stuff, but you can just buy like a bunch of those. Those are good um, because then you don't have to worry about like keeping a cooler with you. Um, especially if you're going to be like doing survey and you do, like, you won't necessarily be able to get back to the um, truck. If you're like feeling like really overheated and want to like sit down with something cold, those are, those are a great option. They're lightweight. You don't need to like have a cooler with you. Um, I don't know what those are called, but they like, you know, go with first aid kits and stuff. Yeah. Also tell your company to buy you this. Oh yeah, um, don't buy any of these things for yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, buy, buy it if you buy it yourself if you have to. If you have to. But don't be too should... afraid to invest in your yourself. That's something I realized eventually is like I'm just gonna have to start buying things for myself to make my life easier. Yeah. But usually like stuff like that, like you're safety people at companies so, so certain safety people at certain companies yeah I won't say all of them um are trying to find ways that you don't get injured in the field and yeah. you're like yes. here's a helpful way to do it let's can i yeah. can i get these things and if you always have these in the truck they'll yeah they'll buy that and a yeah. lot of a lot of clients don't want you getting injured clients will buy that stuff yeah i mean my company oh, yeah. brings noom tablets like usually with us now Same. like they'll have noom tablets to like hand out to techs um so definitely ask, um, especially if you're like in a like supervisory position where you can be like, hey, we need to be stocking this on all the projects. <laughs> um, yes. You know, yeah. maybe like- you a, got a company card, buy it, expense it, see what happens. Yeah, just turn yeah. in the receipt, see what happens. Um, never hurts to try to turn in the receipt. <laughs> it's like bug spray and sunscreen, right? Like it, Exactly, it should just it's the same exact of... thing as bug spray and sunscreen. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, sunscreen recommendation. I recommend Blue Lizard. It's really good. It's, it's an Australian brand, so it's designed for the, the boiling heat. Blue Lizard. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. It now. doesn't, um, they have like a sport one that doesn't sweat off as easy. And the bottle turns blue when it is exposed to UV radiation. So you know if you need to have sunscreen on, <laughs> which is like sort of horrifying because you'll pull it out of your pack and it instantly turns to this like deep navy and you're like, <laughs> oh man the united states is so far behind on sunscreen technology like yeah. we are yeah blue lizard i started using that when i was like a swim teacher in high school so like when i was having to be like you know like literally like in the water and that like stuff stays on pretty well so like sweating, yeah. in terms of sweating it off blue lizard is my sunscreen recommendation yeah i'm looking at it right now it looks like rei carries it I always uh, just get it on Amazon. Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the Beyond section. It's beyond. I think yeah. Target has it near me too. So yeah. There's a kids version with Cookie Monster on it. Yeah. There's a, what? There's like a baby version <laughs> that it's like it's like a that like super zinc where if you like put it on, your face will just be white. Don't That's be fine. afraid of looking like a nerd and just having your face be white. Yeah. Well, that's just me every day. Oh man. So this is me bragging about myself. I, I am very good at sunscreen uh and so like <laughs> i recently saw a dermatologist and the dermatologist was like uh like we were talking about like you know level of exposure to the sun and i was like yeah i've been exposed to the sun like most of my adult life like almost every day of my adult life yeah uh and the dermatologist goes and you wear sunscreen i was like yeah i wear sunscreen i wear like sun shirts and sun hats like just look like a complete dork when I'm outside and uh, she was like, 
you're doing great. Like your skin's looking awesome. Like you don't have any cancer on it. Yeah. Stuff oh, like love that. Love to not have cancer. I was like, yeah. yes. <laughs> I would, I'll follow up with my dermatologist story. I went to the, I, I go to the dermatologist once a year because, and I quote, I have an inordinate amount of abnormal moles. Uh-huh. Um, they're all fine. It's just you gotta track the moles them, I have. They're wacky. You gotta keep track of them. Yeah. And I take my shirt off at the dermatologist and she immediately says, huh, someone's been staying out of the sun. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, right. you told me to. Yeah. I have the opposite like, problem where I'll be like, dermatologist? I'll be like talking to a friend and I'll be like, yeah, I've been busy. I've been in the field a lot. And they're like, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I try. I just, I, I tend not to take my ADHD medication when I'm in like in the field. And then I'm like, oh, like after like the first time I put it on in the morning, I'd forgotten all about it. And I have to, like, have to be reminded because my it can't, it will not stay in my brain for more than three seconds. Yeah. Well, that's a good um, point though. But about, when I like, do put that sunscreen on, it works really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point though, Elliot, about like kind of checking in on each other when you're in, in field teams. Like, yeah, because I know, won't remember. Ch- Someone has to remind me. Yeah, check in on people, how they're doing with their water intake, their snack intake, their sunscreen, just like how they're feeling, you know, yeah, mentally, emotionally. Yeah. It's all good stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Well, uh, Elliot, Travis, thanks again for joining the show. Yeah, um, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It yeah. is an important topic, so thanks for... Uh, using the podcast to get some of this information out there. Yeah, I think it was good. Uh, I I like how we approach it as like uh not sharing horror stories of of all the like terrible shit we've been through and and being like, "Oh, I had it so tough." Uh yeah. instead we're like, you know, sharing like you you phrased it very well, Travis, uh like a, coming from a place of care. Yeah. Um yeah. More of that, please. Yes, please. Yeah. We're not very good at that as a discipline overall, but we should be. Yeah. We should be better. Yes. It's a people-oriented cool. discipline. We should care more about the people doing it. So. 